Chapter Two of the Fundamental Doctrines of the Christian Faith by R. A. Torrey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Marianne. Chapter Two, the Christian Conception of God, or the God of the Bible, as distinguished from the God of Christian Science, and the God of Modern Philosophy. God is Spirit, John Chapter Four, Verse Twenty Four. God is Light, First John chapter 1 verse 5 god is love first john chapter 4 verses 8 and 16 our subject this morning is the christian conception of god or the god of the bible as distinguished from the god of christian science and the god of modern philosophy i have three texts john 4:24 god is spirit first john 1:5 god is light first john four eight and sixteen god is love these three texts give three of the most remarkable statements that were ever uttered and set before us in the clearest possible way the christian conception of god as distinguished from every other conception of god the christian scientists constantly quote one of our texts god is love in fact they quote it more than almost any other passage in the bible but they do not mean at all by god is love what first john chapter four verse eight or first john chapter four verse sixteen evidently mean when taken in their connection by love the christian scientists do not mean a personal attribute of god but an impersonal abstraction which is itself god mrs eddy frankly and flatly denies the personality of god the christian scientists not only say god is love but they also say love is god they not only say god is good but they also say good is god to say love is god is an utterly different statement from saying god is love you might just as well say spirit is god because god says god is spirit but all spirit is not god or you might as well say light is god because god is light but light is not god and love is not god though god is love and god is light and god is spirit what is meant by love in the inspired statement god is love what is meant by the statement god is love is shown by the definition or description of love given in the context and in the immediately preceding chapter first john chapter three verses thirteen to eighteen these verses clearly show that by the statement in first john chapter four verse eight and first john chapter four verse sixteen god is love is not meant that god is an abstract quality love and that the abstract quality of love is god but what is meant is that god is a person whose whole being and conduct are dominated by the quality of love that is by a desire for and delight in the highest welfare of others this would be evident to you if i read from the immediately preceding chapter first john chapter three verses thirteen to seventeen marvel not brethren if the world hateth you we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren he that loveth not abideth in death whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him hereby know we love because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren but whoso hath the world's goods and beholdeth his brother in need and shutteth up his compassion from him how doth the love of god abide in him my little children let us not love in word neither with the tongue 
but in deed and truth. And from this chapter, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 17. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and every one that loveth is begotten of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Herein was the love of God manifested in us, that God hath sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No man hath beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abideth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his Spirit. And we have beheld and bear witness that the Father hath sent the Son to be the Saviour of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, abideth in him, and he in God. And we know and have believed the love which God hath in us. God is love, and he that hath abideth in love abideth in God, and God abideth in him. Herein is love made perfect with us, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, even so are we in this world. The God of what is called modern philosophy is the Absolute, and by the Absolute is generally meant a cold abstraction, and not a clear, definite, and warm personality, who loves, grieves, suffers, and who works intelligently for others. And oftentimes the God of modern philosophy is not only in all things, but is all things, and all things are God. Such a God is no God at all. Whereas the God of the Bible, as we shall see as we proceed, is a divine person who exists apart from the world which he created, and who existed before the world he created, who bears definite relations to the world he has made, and who works along definite and clearly revealed lines. So we come face to face with the question, what sort of a being is the God of the Bible, the real God, the one true God, the God of Christianity, the only God whom we should worship and love and obey? The Kaiser also talks much about God, and his followers are fond of saying, Gott mit uns. But if any one will carefully study the Kaiser's utterances, it becomes plain that he does not mean by God the God of the Bible, the Christian God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, God is Spirit. This we read in our first text, John 4.24, God is Spirit. You will note that in your Bible, both the authorized and revised versions, you read, God is a spirit. But there is no indefinite article in the Greek language, and wherever it is necessary in the English language to fit the English idiom, it has to be supplied, and it is supplied in this case. But there is really no reason for supplying it here any more than there is for supplying it in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, and translating, God is a love, or in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, and translating, God is a light. The preferable translation is as I have given it, God is spirit. This is a definition of the essential nature of God. What does it mean? Our Lord Jesus himself has defined what is meant by spirit in Luke chapter 24 verse 39, where he is recorded as saying after his resurrection, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me, and see, for a spirit, not flesh and blood, as ye behold me having. 
it is evident from these words of our lord that spirit is that which is contrasted to body that is to say spirit is incorporeal invisible reality to say god is spirit is to say that god is essentially incorporeal and invisible see for example first timothy chapter six verse sixteen that god in his essential nature is not material but immaterial and invisible but none the less real this thought is also found in the very heart of that revelation of himself which god made to moses in the first division of the old testament for example we read in deuteronomy chapter four verses fifteen to eighteen take ye therefore good heed unto yourselves for ye saw no manner of form on the day that jehovah spake unto you in horeb out of the midst of the fire lest ye corrupt yourselves and make you a graven image in the form of any figure the likeness of male or female the likeness of any beast that is on the earth the likeness of any winged bird that flieth in the heavens the likeness of anything that creepeth on the ground the likeness of any fish that is in the water or under the earth this is a plain declaration way back fifteen centuries before christ of the spirituality of god in his essential nature god is essentially invisible spirit but it is also clearly revealed in the word of god that spirit may be manifested in visible bodily form we read in john chapter one verse thirty two these words of john the baptist speaking about what his own eyes had seen and john bore witness saying i have beheld the spirit descending as a dove out of heaven and it abode upon him here then we see him who is essentially spirit manifesting himself in a bodily visible form furthermore in the bible we are told that god has manifested himself in visible form we read in exodus chapter twenty four verses nine and ten then went up moses and aaron nadab and abihu and seventy of the elders of israel and they saw the god of israel and there was under his feet as it were a paved work of sapphire stone and as it were the very heaven for clearness what they saw was not god in his essential nature as spiritual being indeed what we see when we see one another is not our essential self but the house we live in and so john could say as he does say in john chapter one verse eighteen no man hath seen god at any time and so i could say to you now that you do not see me nevertheless it was a real manifestation of god himself that they saw and so it could also be said and said truthfully that they had seen god as it could be truthfully said you see me furthermore still though god is essentially spirit god has a visible form this is taught in the most unmistakable terms in philippians chapter two verse six where we are told of our lord jesus that he existed originally in the form of god the greek word which is translated form in this passage means visible form the form by which a person or thing strikes the vision the external appearance it cannot mean anything else this is the definition given in the best greek-english lexicon of the new testament of the word here translated form now as jesus existed originally in the form of god it is evident that god himself must have a form this form in which our lord jesus is said to have existed originally that god in his external form though not in his invisible essence is seeable is also clear from acts chapter seven verse fifty five and fifty six where we read but he that is stephen being full of the holy ghost looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of god and jesus standing on the right hand of god and said behold i see the heavens open and the son of man standing on the right hand of god 
now if god has not a form that can be seen then of course the lord jesus could not be seen standing upon the right hand of god god is as we shall see later everywhere but god is not everywhere in the same sense there is a locality where god is visibly and manifestly present in a way in which he is not present anywhere else there is a place where he is present visibly and manifests himself as he does not elsewhere the place of god's visible presence and full manifestation of himself is heaven though in his spiritual presence he pervades the universe this is evident from many passages in the scriptures for example it is clear from the prayer that our lord taught us a portion of scripture that many accept who reject most of the bible our lord began the prayer that he taught his disciples with these words our father which art in heaven if these words mean anything they certainly mean that god our father is in heaven in a way in which he is not elsewhere that was where god was when jesus was addressing him we read again in matthew chapter 3 verse 17 lo a voice out of the heavens saying this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased if these words mean anything they mean that god was in heaven and that his voice came out of the heavens to the lord jesus who was here on earth again in john chapter 14 verse 28 jesus is recorded as saying he heard how i said to you i go away and i come again unto you if ye loved me ye would have rejoiced because i go unto the father for the father is greater than i if these words mean anything taken in the light of the events that were to follow on the next day and in the days following they mean that jesus was going away from the place where he was then earth to another place where he was not when he spoke i e heaven and that in going to heaven he was going to where god was from earth where god was not in the sense in which he was in heaven again we read in acts chapter 11 verse 9 a voice answered the second time out of heaven what god has cleansed make thou not common here again god is represented as speaking from heaven where he was again our lord jesus christ is recorded in john chapter 20 verse 17 as saying to mary magdalene after his resurrection touch me not for i am not yet ascended unto the father but go unto my brethren and say to them i ascend unto my father and to your father and my god and your god from which it is unmistakably evident that in the conception of our lord jesus christ after his resurrection there was a place where god was and to which he was going and that place was up in heaven there is no possibility of explaining this away by saying that it is a figure of speech the whole passage loses its meaning by any such interpretation and to attempt to so explain it is a trick and a subterfuge that will not bear close examination again the apostle paul tells us regarding our lord jesus christ that god the father raised him from the dead and made him to sit at his right hand in the heavenly places which makes it as clear as language can make anything that there is a place heaven where god is in a sense that he is nowhere else and where one can be placed at his right hand the same thing is evident from the verses that we have already quoted in another connection acts chapter 7 verses 55 and 56 where we are told that stephen being full of the holy ghost looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of god and jesus standing at the right hand of god and said behold i see the heavens open and the spirit of man standing on the right hand of god the meaning of these words to anybody who wishes to know what words are intended to convey and not merely to distort them to fit his own conception is that god is in heaven locally present there is no escaping this by any fair honest interpretation 
men who are skillful in the art of discrediting truth by giving it bad names and names that sound very scholarly may call this anthropomorphism and it sounds very learned nevertheless be it anthropomorphism or what not this is the clear teaching of the word of god in spite of this or any other frightful terms used to scare immature college boys and immature college girls there is no mistaking that this is the teaching of the bible and we have already proven that the bible is god's word and is to be taken at its face value in spite of all the attempts that men who counting themselves wise have become fools make to explain it away the next thing that the bible teaches about god is that god is a person that is to say he is a being who knows feels loves hears prayer speaks acts a being who acts intelligently upon us and upon whom we can act while god is in all things he is a personality distinct from the persons and things in which he is which he has created the bible both in the old and new testaments is full of this vital conception of a living god as distinguished from the mere cold abstraction of the absolute or the infinite or the supreme being or the great first cause of which modern philosophy loves to prate for example we read in jeremiah chapter 10 verses 10 to 16 but jehovah is the true god he is the living god and an everlasting king at his wrath the earth trembleth and the nations are not able to abide his indignation thus shall ye say unto them the gods that have not made the heaven and the earth these shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens he hath made the earth by his power he hath established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding hath he stretched out the heavens when he uttereth his voice there is a tumult of the waters in the heavens and he causeth the vapours to ascend from the ends of the earth he maketh lightnings for the rain and bringeth forth the wind out of his treasuries every man is become brutish and is without knowledge every goldsmith is put to shame by his graven image for his molten image is falsehood and there is no breath in them they are vanity a work of delusion in the time of their visitation they shall perish the portion of jacob is not like these for he is the former of all things and israel is the tribe of his inheritance jehovah of hosts is his name in this passage god is distinguished from idols which are things and not persons things which speak not cannot act cannot do good neither is it in them to do evil we are told that jehovah is wiser than all the wise men is the living god an everlasting king a being who hath wrath and indignation separate from his creatures at his wrath the earth trembleth and the nations are not able to abide his indignation in acts chapter fourteen verse fifteen we read sirs why do ye these things we are also men of like passions with you and bring you good tidings that ye should turn from these things unto the living god who made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them here also we have the representation of god as a personal being distinct from his created work and also to be clearly distinguished from the idols which are not living gods in first thessalonians chapter one verse nine the converts at thessalonica are represented as turning from dead gods idols to serve the living and true god in second chronicles chapter sixteen verse nine we are told that the eyes of jehovah run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him and in psalm ninety four verses nine and ten we read he that planteth the ear shall he not hear 
he that formeth the eye shall he not see he that punisheth nations shall not he correct even he that teacheth men knowledge this is clearly the representation of a personal god and not a mere abstraction like the absolute or the infinite or the supreme being the clear distinction between god who is immanent in all things and dwells in believers and the beings of persons in whom he dwells is brought out very clearly by our lord jesus himself in john chapter fourteen verse ten believest thou not that i am in the father and the father in me the words i say unto you i speak not from myself but the father abiding in me doeth his work again in the twenty-fourth verse of the same chapter where our lord jesus distinguishes between his own personality and that of the father who dwelt in him in these words he that loveth me not keepeth not my words and the word which ye hear is not mine but the father's who sent me this conception of god pervades the entire bible the view of god presented in the bible is utterly different from the conception of pantheism and buddhism and theosophy and christian science this conception is found in the opening words of the bible genesis chapter one verse one in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Here the God of the Bible is clearly differentiated from the so-called God of pantheism and the God of Christian science. And the same conception of God is found in the last chapter of the Bible, and it is found in every chapter of the Bible between the first and the last. The God of the Bible is a personal being who, while he created all things and is in all things, is a distinct personality separate from the persons and things he has created we turn now to a consideration of the present relation of this personal god presented to us in the bible to the world he has created and to the men whom he has created in the first place we find that god sustains governs and cares for the world he has created he shapes the whole present history of the world this comes out again and again a few illustrations must suffice we read in psalm 104 verses 27 to 30 these wait for all thee, that thou mayest give them their food in due season. Thou givest unto them, they gather, thou openest thy hand, they are satisfied with good. Thou hidest thy face, they are troubled. Thou takest away their breath, they die and return to their dust. Thou sendest forth thy spirit, they are created, and thou renewest the face of the ground. And again in Psalm 75, verses 6 and 7. For neither from the east, nor from the west, nor yet from the south cometh lifting up. But God is the judge. He putteth down one, and lifteth up another. All these passages and others that could be cited set forth the same conception of God's present relation to the world which he created. They show, as we have said, that God sustains, governs, and cares for the work he has created, that he shapes the whole present history of the world. Now let us look at his relation to the affairs of men. We will find that God has a present personal interest and an active hand in the affairs of men, that he makes a path for his people and leads them, that he delivers, saves, and punishes. Here four illustrations from the Bible must suffice. First of all, Joshua chapter 3, verse 10. And Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanite, and the Hittite, and the Hivite, and the Perizzite, and the Girgashite, and the Amorite, and the Jebusite. Now turn to Daniel chapter 6, verses 20 to 22, 26, and 27. 
and when he came near unto the den to daniel he cried out with a lamentable voice the king spoke and said to daniel o daniel servant of the living god is thy god whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions then said daniel unto the king o king live for ever my god hath sent his angel and hath shut the lions mouths and they have not hurt me forasmuch as before him innocency was found in me and also before thee o king i have done no hurt i make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the god of daniel for he is the living god and steadfast for ever and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall be even unto the end he delivereth and rescueth and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth who hath delivered daniel from the power of the lions now turn to first timothy chapter four verse ten for to this end we labor and strive because we have our hope set on the living god who is the saviour of all men especially of them that believe and now turn to hebrews chapter ten verses twenty eight to thirty one a man that hath set at naught moses's law dieth without compassion on the word of two or three witnesses of how much sore punishment think ye shall he be judged worthy who hath trodden under foot the son of god and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the spirit of grace for we know him that said vengeance belongeth unto me i will recompense and again the lord shall judge his people it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living god in all of these passages we have the same conception of god in his relation to man viz that god has a personal interest and an active hand in the affairs of men that he makes a path for his people and leads them that he delivers saves and punishes them the god of the bible is to be clearly distinguished not merely from the god of the pantheists who has no existence separate from his creation but also from the god of the deists who has created the world and put into it all the necessary powers of self-government and development and set it going and left it to go of itself the god of the bible is a god who is personally and actively present in the affairs of the universe today he sustains governs cares for the world he has created he shapes the whole present history of the world he has a present personal interest and an active hand in the affairs of men and he it is that is back of all the events that are occurring today he reigns and makes even the wrath of men to praise him and the remainder of wrath doth he restrain the kaiser may rage armies may clash force and violence and outrage may seem triumphant for the passing hour but god stands back of all and through all the confusion and discord and the turmoil and the agony and the ruin through all the outrageous atrocities that are making men's hearts stand still with horror he is carrying out his own purposes of love and making all things work together for good to those who love him end of chapter two